So far, Orange County has uh, 404 cases of coronavirus as of this morning, last I checked. Uh, Four people have died from COVID-19 in Orange County. I'm very grateful to be able to say that um, I haven't had any reports of anyone in our congregation impacted. But I also feel like that kind of needs to have a yet attached to it. We obviously don't know the future. We, we hope that God continues his protection, and, but we don't know the future. We don't know what it holds. And it's been, uh, I've said it again and again, providential that we are in this series on Job because it, it, in, in some ways it's, it's a preparation for suffering. Right now our congregation is insanely blessed, but life is life. And whether it's COVID-19 or something else, there are times of trial, there are times of suffering, and they are ahead. And so in the first week of this series, we kind of dealt with the question of why, right? Like when, when things crash and burn, the first question people ask is why? Why is this happening to me, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? And we saw that that's a really complicated question. and it's the, There's not an easy, simple, pat answer for that. And then uh, the following week, we saw how we as people are called to suffer. Like what, what suffering looks like in, in a faithful way. Hopefully, it's the majority of us aren't actually going to be doing the suffering. We're going to be the ones who are coming alongside and, and, and living with and trying to offer help and care for those who do suffer. And last week, we saw that Job's friends did a really, really bad job of that. And we saw like the, the, the way that, that their words uh, just made his wounds worse. What's interesting about Job and what's interesting about his friends is that they're not that bad. They're not all bad. They, 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 they get a bad rap and they do some, some, some tough things. But at the very beginning of the story, they, they do it right. They actually model what is across the Bible, across Old and New Testament, is, is the, the way to care for, the, the way to be with someone who's suffering. And what's really fun today, we're going to get to look at that, and we're going to get to see what we're called to do, how we're called to respond in cases of suffering. And so let's see uh, what Job's friends do before uh, they, they really mess up. This is Job 2, the end of Job 2, 11 to 13. When Job's three friends heard about all this disaster that had happened to him, they came, each one from his home, Eliphaz from Timon, Bildad from Shua, and Zophar from Nama. They agreed to come so they could console and comfort him. When they looked up from a distance and didn't recognize him, they wept loudly. Each one tore his garment and scattered dust above his head toward the sky. They sat with Job on the ground seven days and seven nights, not speaking a word to him, for they saw that he was in excruciating pain. And of course, his pain wasn't just emotional. He had, yes, lost ten children, had lost all of his home, his, his, his crops, his, his animals. But he also was in f- actual literal physical suffering because he was covered in sores and, 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 and extremely ill. And in, in the face of that, what the Bible always, there's a, there's a term in, in, in Jewish literature that actually is derived from this text, and we'll see, it's called shiva, sitting shiva. This is what we're called to do for those who suffer. It's how we can help. It is the, the model for help. 
And Job's three friends do it. So let's take a closer look at what they do, and let's see how uh, they respond. His three friends, the, the Hebrew there is Rhea, and it's a, it's a typical word for somebody who is a close counselor, a dear friend, somebody who's trusted, right? And, it's, and we can see from their actions that they are that. They, they came, each one from his home. Well, where are their homes? Teman, Shua, and Nama. We don't know exactly where those are. Uh, if you'll recall, Job's probably the, the, the earliest textualized book in, in the Bible. It's probably the first one that was actually written down. Um, so this is 3,000, 4,000 years ago, and, and we're not exactly sure where those places are, but it sounds like, and the best that scholars have found is that they're, they're closer to Israel proper than Job is. And so they, it's far from, they're far from Job, and they're probably pretty far from each other. But they, they are, they're, since they're close to Israel, it's probably the case that they uh, probably know more about Yahweh than, than Job might, or at least they think they do. And, and it says they came, each one uh, from his home. Well, they came, they heard, and then they came. That, that's because they, these, uh, these guys in the ancient world, friendship wasn't just about affection. It was also about uh, obligation. It was also about credit and debt. And then the fact that they hear and then they come is indicative of the fact that they probably are in, in, a, in a, what's called a covenanted relationship with Job. Uh, notice, they don't, know, they don't know that they're all coming, Right? At the very beginning, they, each one in his own home hears the word and goes immediately. It's not like they confer that they're going to go. They, they go, and then when they meet each other there, that's when they agree to consult and comfort. And, and what that indicates to us is that each one individually has a relationship with Job that's very, very tight. And it probably, whether they are feeling good or bad about it, they know that this is what they have to do because Job is their friend. China has been getting a lot of bad PR recently. Um, it's been a been a bad year for China. First, I think it was started in last year, but, but it spilled into this year. There were all the uh, the protests and, and riots in Hong Kong, and uh, it, it looked as though the, the the Chinese government was sort of encroaching on the the, the rights of Hong Kong citizens. Uh, when when uh, Hong Kong was given back to China from the British in 1999, or I think it was 99, there was an agreement that most of the way that they lived wasn't going to change. And it looks like over the last 20 years, that hasn't been the case. And so the citizens of Hong Kong were protesting. And then, then of course, the virus, coronavirus, it looks uh, from, all, from our best evidence, it seems that it started in China and has been uh, going around the world ever since. And then it got even worse when uh, apparently some uh, person in the Chinese government blamed uh, the United States for the virus. And so the people in the United States are very angry. And, and all in all, the stuff that's coming out of China these days has not been great. And it's kind of frustrating. I remember a time, a beautiful time, when what came from China was glorious. You may, and for those of you who were born, uh, you know, after like 1996, you may not know who Jackie Chan is, but Jackie Chan is a treasure. Uh, Jackie Chan, when he, when he burst onto the scene, Jackie Chan was, he's a kung fu martial artist guy, uh, and he, what his, his claim to fame was that he does his own stunts. And he's, and he's fantastic. Like, he does all kinds of crazy stuff. It's maybe, maybe a little more like we're used to it now because we have parkour and whatnot. But he would, like, climb up walls. Like, he would run up walls. He had these incredible fight scenes where he would, like, disarm people in really creative, exciting ways. And uh, it was really clear that he was going to be an international star, but he had a hard time breaking into the American market for a, a really 
a difficult reason. He, his, his Chinese accent was extremely thick, and it was hard for American audiences to understand him. So Hollywood, in its, in its wisdom, figured out what to do. Hollywood paired him in the late 90s and early 2000s. About it. He probably had a good decade from like 98 to 2008-ish. Paired him with talkers, people from the United States who were known for being glib, Right, uh, and so up there on the on, or on your screen, you can see uh, Chris Tucker and then uh, Owen Wilson, and then they needed a vehicle for for the the talker to be with Jackie Chan, and so they they settled on the Buddy Cop movie, the Buddy Cop movie. It's a classic American type of movie. Uh, you've probably seen lots and lots of them. The even though Shanghai Noon is a Western, it's still just a buddy cop movie. They go on an adventure together, and as with all buddy cop movies, they start out as enemies. In both, in both Rush Hour and Shanghai Noon, uh, the, the main characters, they do not like Jackie Chan, and Jackie Chan does not like them for various reasons. Uh, Owen Wilson, I think, is kind of corrupt. I think he's like a bank robber or something. Uh, not exactly a law-abiding citizen. I think Chris Tucker is just mean. I can't remember. Uh, but they start out as foe, and then over the course of the movie, uh, something changes. And every single buddy cop movie has this great scene where... That you can tell that these two, who used to be at each other's throats, are really beginning to respect and love each other. In Rush Hour, it's, uh, it's done to the, the song War. War, huh, yeah, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. That song's playing. And Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker both like this song. And <laughs> it's a classic. And, and then they start dancing to it together. And then, uh, then Chris Tucker, or, or Jackie Chan shows Chris Tucker how to use a, a ninja move to like disarm an opponent who has a gun. And by the end of the scene, you realize these guys are becoming friends. The question is, how good of friends are they? And every buddy cop movie has another trope, and that the, the, the height, the drama, it all comes to a head when one buddy needs the other buddy to show up, and we're not sure if he will. One buddy is in trouble. The bad guy's got him, you know, got his family, whatever. And, 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 and the other buddy, they've had, they've had a fight. The other buddy doesn't, is mad. And the question is, is he going to show up? This is the same thing in the original Star Wars, Han Solo. Is Han Solo going to come and save Luke? Or is he only in it for the money? Are they really friends or are they not? And the test of friendship is not whether or not they can sing along songs. It's not whether they can have jokes and have... What matters, what shows friendship is, do you show up? And to their credit, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, they show up. And in, in Jewish tradition and throughout the Old Testament, when you're sitting Shiva, Shiva is something that requires presence. The, the first rule if, of, of sitting Shiva, of offering comfort to someone in disaster, is show up. I should make a plug. I forgot to do this. Um, I sent an email earlier this morning. It has uh, the activity that Lindsay was talking about. It also has our uh, note sheet on it. You can click on it and you can fill it in on a computer, print it out. Probably that would have been information that would have been useful like 30 minutes ago. But, but I'll remember next week. <laughs> anyway, show, show up. And, and the, what's interesting about showing up is that it really, in the, in the Bible, it's very much about being physically present with someone. And I think one of the stunning ironies of coronavirus and the world that we're living in right now is that the very thing the most important thing of, of 
way to help someone, who care for someone who's in crisis is the one thing that the government is telling us we can't do right now. I've heard that um, if, if any of you uh, get, get sick and, and you're in the hospital, that I'm not allowed to visit you. I can't be with you, except in um, an extremis in the last uh, hours of, of life. And yet, thanks to Josh in the back there running the camera and my mom doing the slides and the sound and and Tony and Lindsay and Estella and Doug and Ryan Gates helping out with the the camera, because of those sacrifices and, and, and actions and gifts, we actually can sort of be together. It's not the same. It's not ideal. But we can be present. And I think uh, the commitment that we as a church need to make to each other and uh, to those around us is that we're going to show up. And it might not look like showing up usually is where, you know, I see Doug and and I'm like going to try and shake his hand. He just comes in for the big bear hug. He slaps me on the back. He slaps really hard and I have a lot of fat. And when you, uh, when you slap fat, it hurts. So it's painful to see Doug, but it's a good pain. It's the pain of love. And I miss it. And so it might not be that, but we're still going to show up. We'll text, we'll call, we'll Zoom. If you need help and resources, we will supply them. The mark of a real friend and the mark of a real church is when the chips are down, do you show up? Let's go back to the text. This is, uh, I love, the, the Hebrew in this portion is just fantastic. Uh, so it's, it says, they agreed to come so they could console and comfort him. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. When they looked up from a distance, they didn't recognize him. This is because uh, Job, you know, probably was like a pretty, you know, hearty, healthy guy. And then when disaster strikes, he shaves his head. Um, he probably stops shaving his beard if he did. So he's got his big beard. He's gaunt now because he's not eating. Um, he's covered in, in mud and ashes. His, his, his clothes are torn up and he just looks like, he just looks like he's on, you know, on his deathbed, right? And so they come and, and when they're seeing from afar, this, they can't even recognize his outline. They're, they're like, who is this guy? And so in response, they, they, they wept loudly. Literally the Hebrew there is like, they, they, they lifted up their voices and, 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 and wailed. And the, the, it's very animalistic language. It's sort of like what a, a wolf does, like, like just howling um, at, at, at the sky almost. And then they do what he does. They, they, just as Job has torn his garment, they do the same thing. They tear, tear their robes. They cover themselves in ashes and mud. And then they, they lay on the ground. I do want to point out the Hebrew for cons- console and comfort. That's, uh, that's nud and, uh, naham. And, uh, th- those, those two words are very interesting. They, they started out, I mean, they do mean comfort and console, but they start out meaning something different. The, the basic literal meaning of, of the word console or nude is, um, it's flopping around. 
Okay, it's uh, if you if you went to the if you went to the lake and you pulled out a fish and you dropped it on the ground, what it would do? That's 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 nude, and and comfort is uh, naham, and naham is the 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 panting of a horse, like. <gasps> <gasps> And, and the reason that these words came to mean what they mean is because there's a, an intense physicality to grieving and to mourning in the ancient world. Like literally when they see Job, what he's doing is he's flopping around on the ground. He's writhing on the ground and he's panting and he's crying and moaning. So how does that mean console and comfort, right? Like, how is it that, that, that those words could come to mean that? Well, it's because the, the, the idea behind sympathizing or empathizing with someone has to do with sharing in their grief. Now, we know this more intuitively. Uh, remember when uh, swing dancing came back? That was weird. It was like we had like three years where everyone in America was swing dancing and then we all collectively reminded ourselves this is stupid and we stopped. Uh, and th- for some reason, people like just, instead, they stopped playing electric guitar and they picked up trumpets. Like what was that? That was just craziness. Uh, I do, I, I remember I took a couple of swing dancing classes during this time and I found something very interesting about dancing. In dancing, it, you you... Have you noticed this? This is a true fact about dancing. Almost all dancing, uh, the paradigm of it is a man and a woman kind of paired up, sort of doing the same things together. And it gets fancy, like when you're swing dancing, people like spin around and, you know, do a lot of like, I think that would probably throw my back out, but, you know, turning someone over, they would weird, weird things like that. But the, all dancing, whether it's flamenco dancing, salsa dancing, ballroom dancing, it, there's always like a guy and a girl and there's a process of getting closer and then getting away and they're miming each other's movements. And I don't know if this has happened to any of you, but I've found that um, when I'm dancing with a woman, I start to have feelings, desire, dangerous feelings. And what I've also found is that is that the woman that I'm dancing with, it seems to be having those same feelings. And, 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 and you know, and even if we, before we've ne- we danced together, even if we've never felt that way, it, there's something very powerful about the action of being close and mimicking each other, and it can create things. Now, I've only ever experienced that with Aaron, of course, my wife. Um, so that we should know that. But, but it is true. When we used to dance at weddings, are we going to have to take a dance class during, during the lockdown? All right, everybody, we'll do a dance class. Ballroom dancing. Okay. Uh, I, there's, there, and what's interesting about this is that scientists have actually found out why this takes place. Um, we have in our brains things called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons are, are a very unique, interesting thing about human brains where uh, when we take visual cues from someone else, right, uh, and, and we mimic them, we start to actually feel the way that they feel. Uh, this happens as early as, as babies. We've, we've seen this. So in this picture, uh, a mother is sticking out her tongue and baby's like, oh, I can do that too. What's really interesting is it's not just physical motions, though. It's also emotions, when you see somebody laughing, you start to laugh too. When you see someone crying, you can start to cry too. 
what the ancient world understood that a lot of times we don't is that the process of grieving, when you physically imitate, when you mimic, when you do what the grieving person is doing, you actually begin to feel the way that they feel. Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, they haven't lost 10 children. They haven't lost their homes. They haven't lost uh, their, their, their flocks and their animals. They haven't been covered with, with sores, and they're not violently sick. And yet, by, by flopping around and heaving and wailing like wolves, they begin to sense and experience the very same things that Job is experiencing. And just as when we're dancing together, the feelings transfer from Job, and, we be, and, and they begin to feel what he feels, and instead of it just all being him, instead of it all just being balled up inside of him, he's, he's synced up to them, and they're, they're carrying the burden of emotional pain. And they're even, because of what they're doing, flopping around in the ground, in the mud, they're even in, embracing some of his physical pain. He's no longer just carrying it himself. So first they show up, and then they sync up. They literally physically sync up with Job. They cry as he cries. They they writhe as he writhes. They tear as he tears. They smother and, 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 and throw up ash as he smothers and throws up ash. And in the middle of that, they begin to hurt the way he's hurting. And he's no longer doing it himself. One of the things we saw last week is you can't fix grief. You can't fix suffering. But you can share it. Let's go back to the text. They sat. Sat right there. That, that is the word shiva. That's where the, the practice of sitting shiva comes from uh, they, they sat with Job on the ground seven days and seven nights, not speaking a word to him, for they saw that he was in excruciating pain. This is their finest moment. And it does quickly go downhill, which we'll talk about in a moment. But right here, they do the only thing that you can do. They sit, and that's it. My friend uh, Mike is a an or was I think he's I think he's in reserves now maybe uh, he's an army chaplain. During uh, army chaplain training, one of the things that they do is they say when you deliver a death notification to someone, when you let them know that a loved one has died, you state the information. And then you come and you, and, you, and you sit down in their space and you don't say anything unless you absolutely have to until other people arrive. It's literally the, the training for the army is, is when you deliver it, you, you don't say a word. Just don't. Now you may have to do some things, some, like there's some I'm sorry, there's some uh, this, is, this is awful. They may ask you things, and, and, but it's as little speaking as possible. You just... You're just there. And the reason we have to be trained to do this is because human beings uh, almost 
this is a very strange thing for us, but we, we have a really, really, really hard time being quiet with other people. And this is especially true during suffering and grieving. Because we come in, and we come into a situation, and we think, what do I do? And our natural response is to begin saying stuff. Some of us, uh, it's, it's funny, so some, some people are talkers, other people are not talkers, and, uh, and, and one of the interesting things I've noticed over the years is that the not talkers kind of wish that they were talkers, because they assume that in social situations, and especially socially awkward situations, if they were, if they were glib, if they, if they had a silver tongue, they would succeed more. And so whether you're a talker or not talker, when you get into a situation where there's somebody who's gone through something traumatic, or is going through something traumatic, the, the the inclination is, I need to, to say something. I need, I need to, to help them. And so a lot, one, of the, one of the fascinating things about when, when you know that someone's grieving or suffering, most human beings try to avoid contact with them. Because what do you do? Nothing you can say will help. Nothing that Zophar says to Job is going to bring his kids back. But there's something weird. And we know this. We've done so many studies on people who've grieved. Um, When you're suffering, you don't need them to say anything. You just don't want to be alone. Some people are really good at this. Some people have a gift for consoling. Um, and, and for us, I think uh, a lot of times it's daily rhythms and just going through those rhythms with someone. So, for example, um, if someone's grieving, instead of talking to them, you can cook with them. You can clean with them. You can just be with them. Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, they last for seven days. Seven in the Old Testament is always, uh, or not, not always, but usually signifies something like completion or wholeness. And the idea is, is that these guys are waiting around. They're, they're, they're shutting up just long enough to, to make sure that Job's ready to talk. That's what they're doing. And, and, and that's, that's what we're you know, supposed to do. We, 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 we don't want to jump in. We want to be quiet. We want to stay, stay, stay silent. And they, they figure, oh, seven days. We've, uh, we've been... We've been Grieving for seven days, he's probably ready to, to talk now. They're completely wrong. And over the next 30 chapters, we find out how wrong they are. But they, 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 they feel like they've done it. And then, then they start to notice something about the grieving that's going on. See, while the grieving is happening, they're sitting there, they're being quiet, they're writhing around with Job, but Job's saying stuff. Job is not just screaming and crying. He's also saying things. He's saying things like, God, Why? He's saying things like, God, please stop torturing me. We saw a lot of these last week, some of the, the things that, or two weeks ago, things that Job says. Uh, he he, he kind of pours it all out, and he tells, he tells God, this is how it is. This is it. 
And what ends up happening, if you listen to what Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad say when they start to talk, it exposes their, their concern for Job. What they're thinking is going on is Job is saying stuff that's too dangerous. It's too honest. And it sounds like Job's maybe even doubting that God is good. It sounds like Job is doub- doubting that, that, that God's in control. It sounds like Job may be wondering if God's even there. And those are scary things for Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. They know that God's there. They know that God's good. They've got perspective. And they're worried that Job is going off the reservation. They're afraid. They're afraid that his words and his mourning and his grief and his loss are taking him away from God. And that fear is why they start to talk. And this, and this is this is the, the big danger. Whether you're a talker or not a talker, when someone is grieving, when they are in the depths of a living hell, they may start to say things that scare you. You may start to worry about their faith. They might say things that seem inappropriate, maybe offensive. You might worry that they're going the way of atheism, of hatred and distance from God. And in that moment, the temptation is to be like, wait, 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 slow down, slow down. I I, I understand, I understand. Hold on, don't go there. I've got an answer for you. I know it seems like God's bad, but, but, the, but don't you see that human beings need to have freedom? And if human beings have freedom, then some human beings are going to do awful things to each other. And not only that, but the world that we live in has to have variety and interesting things happening. And, and sometimes that means that earthquakes happen and, and coronaviruses happen. And that's why there, there's these things. That, don't you see? Don't you see? Shut up! Shut up. Job, your kids, they deserve this. You need to repent, Job. If you just turn around, then God's going to turn around too. You need to, the, the problem, Job, is with you. If you just, shut up. The man just lost his kids. This is between him and God. Your job is to show up. You sink up and you hurt with him. You cry with him. And you shut up. And let him hurt and cry and grieve and wait for God to respond. Because there's nothing we can do. And sometimes it takes years. Years of shutting up. I have a friend who, um, his uh, his wife left him. 
And literally for 18 months, every time I saw him, it was just, God's the worst. Life is terrible. There's no meaning. There's no point. And there was no answer that I could give. There was no advice. Just had to let him talk. talk. And you know what? He's good now. He and God had to work that out. He just needed me to be there. Depending on how this uh, virus goes and depending on you know, whether or not these spikes happen and you know, flattening the curve and all the different things that people are saying, we may be in a time here where uh, there's going to need pe- be people who need us to, to sit Shiva. And like I said, it's going to be weird because we're going to have to do it in, in different ways. You know, the sending of cards and flowers and Zoom meetings. I mean, who knows what it all looks like. But one temptation that we're going to have is, is, is the same temptation that uh, Jesus' disciples had. You see, uh, sitting Shiva actually happens in the New Testament. It happens um, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's getting ready to die. He asks three friends to come with him and just be with him and pray. He doesn't want them to say anything. He doesn't want them to fix his problems. He just needs people to be with him because he's about to enter into a time of terrible, terrible grief. This is a painting, a 16th century painting by El Greco, and I, I love it because it, um, it, it depicts the disciples perfectly. It's so bizarre. The way that El Greco paints the, the three disciples, they're off on the left there, and they're sleeping in what looks to be almost like a cave. Um, but they're, they're, they're painted in such a way that they blend in with the cave. And so he's being faithful to the text. They're there, but it's like they're not, right? Because they fall asleep. Jesus wants them to be there and to pray and to weep with him, uh, whatever's needed. They come and then they pass out. And so even though they're physically there, it's like they're not. They miss this opportunity to sit Shiva with the one who's going to save the world. The reason that Jesus needs them there is not because their prayers are more effective than Jesus's. No, it's because what grief and suffering and fear are like is they're like clouds. During the, uh, the first week of lockdown, um, you know, it was raining constantly. And I love children to a point. Uh, but, but man, I, I was just like, I was looking out there and the rain's coming down and the kids are like screaming and running around in circles on the ground. <laughs> they were writhing about. <laughs> um, and I was just, and I was sitting there waiting for like a little bit of, you know, a ray of light to come break up the clouds. So the rain would stop and it's immediately like, Alice, Olivia, Soren, outside now. Girls, watch Soren. Get out. 
And so the first week, week and a half of, of lockdown was, was us sort of punctuating the, the rain with like these little moments and times and hours where like the sun would come out and there was freedom and then get the kids out, get all the wiggles out as much as they can and then bring them back in when the rain starts again. But in a way, that's kind of like what sitting Shiva is. Grief and loss and suffering and anxiety are like these rain clouds where, yeah, it's true that the sun is behind them. That's a fact. But you can't see that sun. It's not there for all intents and purposes. And what all you want, all you want is to just have just occasionally, from time to time, a little ray of sunshine pierce through so you can be reminded that it's there, reminded that there's brightness and there's sunshine, there's, there's, there's good weather to come. In a way, the people who sit Shiva, whether it's the disciples with Jesus, the, the, the three friends with Job, or, or us as we're navigating a global pandemic, what you're doing is you're with the person who's suffering, and by being with them, your presence reminds them. It's like a little ray of light, a little sunshine. reminds them that the sun... God is behind those clouds. That this is temporary. This doesn't last forever. That, that, that if, if you're just there with them, they know through your presence that God's presence is real too. And even if it doesn't feel like that, even if it seems like God has disappeared, even if it seems like he's not listening, even if it seems like he's being mean, your presence is that little ray of light, that little moment that reminds them that all of those feelings are transitory. They're, they will pass. And that there will be light to come. So we don't know what's going to happen, but, but if it does happen, if bad, things do get bad, we have to, as a community, be with, in whatever way that is, because we as a community are called to be the light, these little rays of light in the midst of rain and darkness. And I think probably for us, especially if God's been so good to us and protected us and provided for us, maybe what we really need to be doing is being those rays of light for the people around us. Man, have you talked to non-Christians in the last, like, two weeks? They're going nuts. They've lost their minds. They have no hope. And they're freaking out because there's an invisible bug that's going around. It's going to kill everyone. And they have lost their minds. For them, it's just rain and shadow and cloud, and there is no sun. The sun is never there, and it's gone. It's never coming back. They are desperate for us to be with them. And I'm worried that that means I might need to meet some of the people on my street. And it means that you might too. And if you do, you might be the person, the one person who can really sit Shiva with them when the worst happens. So show up, sync up, and shut up. Let's pray. Gracious God, we, we do pray, Lord, protection over this community, this congregation, Orange County, California, the United States, the whole world, God. We just ask for deliverance. But God, 
if the worst comes, or even if it doesn't, when suffering approaches, Lord, I pray that we will be people who sit shiva. People who are there for the suffering and the grieving and the anxious. People who don't have answers but who always show up, who, who may not understand but who, who empathize and, and, and sink into the emotions and the, and the, the pain People who don't offer cheap answers, but who walk with and live with. You're good, God. And these clouds will part, and your true light will continue to shine. We love you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.